you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Phil Drinkwater. Welcome, Phil. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Believe it or not, Phil, there is people around the world who don't know who you are yet. Yeah. We need to solve that. So could you give us a little bit of an introduction to you and who you are? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I trained originally as a programmer uh, probably about 30 years ago. I used to write computer games. I then moved into project management in computer games. And a few years into that, I was approached by my brother to start a company in the online recruitment marketplace. And so I learned SEO and along the lines, conversion rate optimization, user experience, graphic design, um, lots of kind of skills around, you know, people management and things. And today, as of the last kind of, you know, six months, I'm launching my own uh, agency which is going to focus on, you know, just a few industries. So I'm niching into a few industries. So yeah, that's probably a, a fairly good background, but I have about 20 years in, in kind of the industry now in sort of SEO and, and that kind of thing. Excellent. That sounds good. That sounds good. So you, you've, uh, you've experienced a good bit then. I have, I have. How, how was it starting an online business when you, when you got going? Because I'm like, I mean, nowadays, you know, people people start a business in like five minutes and get moving. But like, what was it like when you first started off? They did. Well, probably the biggest difference was there was nothing like Google ads or Facebook ads. So you literally couldn't start in five minutes, at least when it was an online business. Um, all we really had was uh, a document that I bought from America. I think they, I think I paid about $30 for it on this thing called search engine optimization. Actually, I can't even remember whether it was called search engine optimization or whether that you know term hadn't been coined at that point. But um, yeah, it, it was really it was really really difficult. So for the first probably two years, uh, we were trying to grow just with getting links from uh, from people because we wanted the traffic. Um, we weren't even really doing it because links were the things that everyone wanted. We just wanted the traffic. And um, and probably two or three years into it, we managed to find our stride. But um, today, obviously, people have an enormous amount of tools to help them as well. So, um, you know, SEMrush, um, Ahrefs and, you know, all the various kind of content tools. We had nothing. We had no data <laughs> except our own Google Analytics, um, nothing whatsoever. So I think back in those days, you know, everyone was kind of flying blind and just trying stuff out and hoping for the best. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting how things develop, right? And I, I think most industries, I mean, when, when when you see them develop, like that's typically the way it goes through. So, I mean, I've, I've followed the Amazon FBA industry as well very closely, right? And, and it's been the same thing. Like when everyone started, it was like, buy any product in China, sell it in the US, be a millionaire kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it took a while before the market kind of settled down, but but... Again, now there's so many tools and so much stuff that, you know, to help you make all the right choices and decisions and so on. So it, it's interesting how the, the different markets develop and so on. 
Well, about six years in, we actually uh, realized that we hadn't launched any location-based pages. So nothing particularly around such and such London or such and such Manchester or or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And we, we launched uh, a set of those and we uh, doubled our traffic or just over doubled our traffic pretty much overnight. Um, now, these days, you do a, a massive audit and you go and find out, you know, that you are missing all of this potential traffic. But in those days, we just had no idea. <laughs> just making it up as we went along. Yeah. Time has changed. So what about, Phil, from a management standpoint, like when you first started hiring, how, how did that go? Was it all success or what was the... Well, so when I worked in computer games, I, I worked for a a company which had a what I consider to be a really effective but somewhat unusual recruitment process, at least at the time. Yeah. We had a obviously a first interview, so you uh, came in and, uh, and, and chatted to the company, and then you came back for a two-day on-the-job interview, and you would be given a two-day task. So if you're a programmer, you'd be asked to program if you're a project manager you'd be asked to project manage something lead some teams and 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 team meetings and and those kinds of things now the recruitment process was unbelievably effective and we were so unlikely as a company to ever get the wrong uh, employee um, it just didn't really happen so everyone made it past their three months you know all of the issues that you might find you know where maybe someone didn't fit in with the team or or something like that and even went out for a drink in the evenings to get to know you a bit more so we actually followed the same process when we started to uh, recruit and we we did pretty well there was probably a couple of uh, issues along the lines but generally speaking it's been really effective and in fact i mean our uh, the majority of our staff have Uh, been with us now for well as long as they've been you know they've kind of been in the industry and things so uh, certainly in in terms of kind of sales staff and things you know they've been with us and and admin staff you know most of them been with us for uh, 10 or more years now Um, and we have a you know content writers and things you know one of our content writers you know he left university came and and took a job with us and he's still with us that's I think six or seven years now Um, so recruitment's been really important for us. And um, to me, I mean, it's really important to get the right fit. So we sit people literally in with, obviously not during COVID, uh, but we sit people literally in with the team and uh, give them some tasks to do and encourage them to talk to the people around and ask any questions that are on their minds. So nothing is, is taboo. You can ask about how you know it is to work here you can ask about the direction you ask about whatever you like um and just so that you know when people turn up on day one they know what to expect because obviously from a management perspective it's a real problem if you're needing work done and someone turns up day one they realize it's not quite what they wanted and then they obviously leave again yeah Yeah, i mean that's a problem for, for many businesses for sure um, yeah, that's, that sounds very interesting. And it's a good, I mean, so, so some of the people we've recruited, we've done in a similar way. So we would basically, like when we find people that we feel have a good fit, we would basically bring them in for, typically for us, it was a couple of weeks, but basically 
same same sort of mindset in terms of testing them and seeing if the mindset and everything fit and you know if they would get along with the team and so on and we we would actually go around and ask the team and and say you know do you think we should hire this person do you think it'll be a good fit what do you think they're they'll be good at and where will they struggle and so on so we always try to get as much feedback from the team as we could and um, also yes. to make them feel like part of the process right and um, because that also like if you get someone in that's struggling it also actually makes the team step up if they've had a choice and said like oh yeah this is a great person right and if they're struggling then the team is more likely to actually step up and really make sure that they become successful right definitely and you know involving the team is incredibly important they are going to be working with them you know hour to hour day to day um and you want people to feel comfortable at work always you want them to feel also like their their opinion counts um you know making people uh or giving them a voice is 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 incredibly important um so first interviews actually we do we have about a two-hour first interview it's about 30 minutes chat and then um i have one of my uh uh, somewhat famous in in our company um one and a half hour test things so it will just be you know if we're interviewing social media it will be you know go and write a tweet in three different ways three three different platforms and things so you know it, it is a process that's designed very much to um to ensure that you know we get the right fit and we get the person with the skills that's needed um and it's really worked incredibly well for us and good to hear that obviously other people are doing the same thing yeah excellent that sounds great that sounds great any other things that you have done either that you feel is a bit unusual or that have just worked incredibly well for you guys? We have a, uh, a completely open structure to the company. So um, I, I, I'm guessing many companies these days are fairly open structure, but um, we don't really have, we have a management structure in that people take certain uh, extra responsibilities on, but um we don't we're a relatively small team you know kind of 12 14 of us and um and no one really has any more uh particular say than anyone else um we're interested in everyone's opinions um and making the right decision you know comes from allowing that um i, I think you know certainly companies that i've worked in before that have had a very top down uh, approach to uh, to management I, I think it becomes very difficult because feeding back up the chain can be quite hard so we just don't really have any of that uh, we have a very very um, flat structure um, and uh, and we aim to give people as much direct responsibility as we uh, as we can um, I think also for us it's uh, it's important to allow people to make mistakes and yeah. and and I and I think you know over the years you know if I think back to my own career and you know some of the companies I've worked for um, the lack of kind of a blame culture or in some cases having a blame culture has been really has made such a big difference to how much I've enjoyed working at a company and wanted to stay there we just don't do that whole thing um, we just don't do, you know, the, the kind of blame culture. We allow people to make mistakes and learn from them. Um, we obviously have some processes and we ensure that people, you know, have 
knowledge but you know if a content writer manages to or it writes something and it's not successful in you know in um in its field you know it doesn't really grow in terms of uh seo well that's fine we'll take it we'll have a look at it we'll see what we could do but you know there's there's none of this kind of well you know you should do better um we just find that that's really really ineffective yeah and i i think generally I mean, when you speak with most successful business owners, the one thing I ask them is always, how did you get to where you are? Because reality is for most people, they got to where they are because someone showed them trust. Now, either if they were in a company, someone gave them ownership, someone gave them responsibility and, you know, gave them the opportunity. And if they've done it by themselves, you know, they've, they've taken the initiative, they've done some things, right? And, yeah. and the, the challenge is that that is how you develop, Right. Now, if, if someone's sitting showing you every step of the way and so, not even micromanaging, but, you know, every time you make a mistake, they're like, oh, you shouldn't do this. You should do this. And if, if, if that's happening consistently, then it really takes away from the learning and really takes away from how you act developing as a person. Right. So totally, totally agree with you that you need to give people that space, not just to make the mistakes, but also to. Um, just learn some lessons by themselves, right? I mean, ideally not one that bankrupt your business, but, you know, uh, ideally smaller lessons, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and certainly, you know, I think um, you can allow people to grow within an ever-expanding bubble. Um, so, you know, they, they, people have to have a level of responsibility which is uh, relevant to their position and their knowledge in the company. So as you rightly say, you know, ideally, you know, not something that's, that's literally going to bankrupt the company. Um, but I think, you know, for me, the fear-based culture that comes from even, um, as you say, not, not even micromanaging, but just constantly correcting and checking and correcting and checking, um, that, that can be quite toxic for people. And, and they won't feel trusted. You know, they won't feel that they can grow at a reasonable rate. And, and obviously what you're trying to do for any employee is just to allow them to grow to be the best that they can, they can be. Um, if they have this feeling that, you know, that someone's constantly breathing down their neck, um, that there's a fear there that they're going to do something wrong, get something wrong, whatever it happens to be, you know, they're, they can't possibly be creative. They can't be um, thoughtful about their own role. And certainly, I mean, it, in some industries, you know, uh, maybe it's a case of, well, you just need someone to literally do that job. But, you know, when you're working in a creative industry, um, trying to run teams with a, um, a constant fear uh, attached to them, it just kills all the creativity. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And what's been your best way of not just doing that yourself, but really implementing that over the whole organization? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I've always had this view that um, a company is a, uh, and I don't mean this in a, a kind of an egotistical way, but it's a, um, it becomes a version of the directors or the leaders. So what they tend to do and how they tend to react and act tends to filter down. So 
I guess the point really from uh, from me on that would would be mo nothing more than um, leaders you want other people to lead. Uh, you know, if you're showing people uh, trust and allowing people to grow and all of those kinds of things, you know, then other people will do the same um, because you know that naturally it will feel how things tend to work in that company. Um, so you can, I mean, you can formalize these things, you know, you can make it clear that people can do, you know, or should do X, Y, Z, uh, or work in a certain way. But um, for me, I, I think, it, you know, the culture really comes from normally from the sort of directors and allowing that to propagate um, is, a, is okay from my perspective. Yeah. That makes uh, that makes a lot of sense as well. And uh, I, I think, I mean, it sounds like your your probably personality is slightly different than a lot of online business owners, right? So, how uh, when you sort of started out and so on, how have you gotten on with delegation? And had that come relatively natural to you, or did you did you struggle with that a lot in the beginning? Delegation is actually a really good question. Delegation was not particularly natural to me when I first started as a manager. Um, and we're talking ooh, 30 years ago now, probably the first time I, maybe 25, 25 years ago when I, I first took a management role, uh, it didn't come natural. I was nervous. I was scared. You know, I ended up um, being too specific. Um, I don't think I got necessarily into the realms of micromanagement, but I was certainly too, I was certainly too specific because I didn't understand delegation. Um, I didn't understand how to allow people to grow. I didn't understand how to um, to give them this, as I say, ever-expanding bubble. You just want to allow them to, to grow slowly in confidence and, and all of that kind of stuff. So delegation for me was not natural at all. And I actually ended up doing some training uh, on it, you know, before everything was online training is say a long time ago. And uh, we went on a, a particular course and that was a clearly an area that you know I was uh, not particularly used to. And coming out of that, I think I recognised that um, delegation is about you know being clear and specific, but having some reasonable boundaries as well. So you know not just allowing someone, especially if they're new to the company, to go and make a change that will, as you rightly say, bankrupt the company or or any of that kind of thing. So. So delegation didn't come very easily to me, but certainly by the time that I was starting working on my online business from 20 years ago, I think the worst of my delegation issues have probably been um, dealt with. Uh, but but delegation's tough because there is always this fear uh, about well, what if someone does something very very wrong, and and I think it's. You know, from our point of view, and certainly from my point of view, it is always important to allow people to come and say, I'm just going to go and do this. Do you agree with it? Um, you know, having a very kind of open door in, in that kind of sense. So people can come and check things if they're just a bit unsure about something and they will, you know, gain some kind of trust at the same time. But but delegation, uh, as I say, to me, wasn't wasn't massively natural. I had to allow myself to 
um, accept that other people were going to make mistakes in a similar way as I was going to make mistakes. And, um, and, and, and also, I mean, a, a further point on this, something that I'm always very keen on um, is understanding that life, as it, you go through time and through you know, your journey in your life, is a lot more complex than this is a mistake and this is a success. Some of my most difficult challenges in life, you know, both personally and professionally, have come from, quote, mistakes. Things that weren't going quite right have often, you know, often pushed me in a direction that um, has ended up actually being fantastic for me. So, so I think if, if, if someone has this view that life has to be optimized to the nth degree, to be perfect, this is the plan, exactly this. I find that can be a struggle in so many ways for a business. First off, it doesn't allow you to navigate around and be kind of nimble because there's always this feeling that you, you've got your next 10 years planned out and it's got to be this. Um, I think that can be you know, a real difficulty. And as I say, at the same time, it breeds this feeling of, well, there's one person here that's got the direction and that's it. And I'm really just here working on, on, on their job. Um, so, yeah, it, it is really important, I, I think, to take yourself away from this feeling that everything has to be perfect. Yeah, totally agree. And uh, I mean, uh, I definitely struggled big time with delegation initially. And, and it's still one of the things that I, you know, I have to keep reminding myself on and I have to, like, keep thinking about it. I, it's, it's definitely something where by nature, I'm also very detail oriented. Right. But again, it's, it's, uh, I'd say it's the number one skill set that I work with most clients on. And, and again, most, for most people, it's just, it doesn't come natural, right? It's not, if you don't understand the logic fully, then it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense with delegation. Right. And I think that's where most people really struggle the most. Right. It doesn't. And, it, and when you do think about it, you think, okay, I know my business. I know how my business should go. Uh, it needs to go in this direction. And, and this is exactly what I need. And therefore, all of my staff need to follow exactly that process. At that point, you are only allowing yourself to be one single creative. You're not allowing anyone else to have any, you know, strong ideas or or to push in a slightly different direction. And, um, and I would say over time, that can be really, uh, I can really hamstring your business because you know, I would rather take input from 200 people and make a decision from you know, that, whatever I'm coming up to, rather than just thinking myself, how can I solve this? Um, I'm a real, you know, I'm a real fan of looking around at, at what people are doing. I think it's, it's good to look around at what people are doing. I don't think you necessarily have to copy absolutely everything that everyone's doing, but, you know, gaining inspiration from, you know, the, the rest of the world, whether that's just your team or uh, literally, you know, online courses or whatever it happens to be, you know, some of the best stuff has, has really come from that. There's actually one of my favorite videos, um, you can look it up on YouTube. If you search for Alan Watts, Chinese farmer, you'll find it. 
And, and it, it took me a few watches to really get my head around this. Um, I only found it maybe three or four years ago, but it's what is stuck in my mind. And the idea is that um, there's this farmer and, you know, some bad things happen and then some good things happen. And the people in the village are kind of saying, oh, well, isn't that bad? And isn't that good? And the farmer's saying, well, maybe, you know, so something supposedly good happens and that leads to something bad and that leads to something good and that leads to something bad. And, and the, the whole point about it is that, you know, life is too complex to be so certain that any one moment in our lives is, is correct or incorrect. Um, so yeah, I think once I started to understand this and just allow you know, the journey to happen to some extent, um, I found my, my own kind of you know, management leadership direction probably easier. Uh, and also people around me find that, you know, it's easier to, uh, to work within the, the, you know, the boundaries that they have. Yeah, that makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. What's the biggest management sort of mistake or the, the biggest sort of screw up you have ever made? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I mean, there was a project I worked on years and years and years ago. Um, it was actually a games project. I'm not going to mention the particular project. Yeah. Uh, let's say it didn't go well. Um, it was quite a large team, and the we inherited a um, a kind of a pre-release, like a you know a, a, a temporary version, you know, just a kind of simple version of this this particular project, and and we then had to go and work with the. Uh, the company that was paying for it to, you know, to finish it off. And um, in the early days, we made a few decisions to go away from the some particular points that had been specified in the original spec. And I think they were right to, we were right to go away from those, but we didn't go far enough. And the, uh, the project ended up um, over budget, the customer wasn't particularly happy. Um, they sent someone who was actually a great guy, by the way. They sent someone to come and sit with us so, you know, could help us make decisions in the kind of final phases. And I look back on that one because that's probably the only time that I've had something that's that's significantly gone wrong. Um, I look back on it and I think, you know, well, what was the real problem? What really happened there? Not that, you know, they became overbearing because I don't think they did or, or not that the original uh, spec, you know, was wrong. It probably, it probably was too ambitious. Um, so let's say we cut it down a little bit. So, but what went really wrong was that the team was too inexperienced to spot a few of those mistakes as they were coming up. And um, there was probably one uh, guy, a technical guy, who was, uh, he was probably a bit more vocal um, about, you know, some of the changes that were maybe needing to be made. But as a team, we didn't follow that direction. Um, and that's, <laughs> so we, we paid for that with an enormous amount of overtime and stress and, you know, redirection later on and an unhappy customer and, you know, all of that kind of thing. So, 
yeah, that, that's probably my, my kind of biggest uh, mistake throughout. Um, and I think, you know, if I look back and, and go, well, what have I actually learned from that? Uh, I think that I, the thing that I have learned is that um, we didn't do enough um, costing on that project in the early days so we already had a relatively short deadline and uh, we were thinking well we just need to get on um if we'd gone and sat down and done a larger amount of of costing uh i think we would have realized that um the project needed to be somewhat cut down and it wasn't going to make it that was a hard time that was a hard year yeah, and obviously, I mean, those kind of things, the smaller your company is, the more, the more it hurts, right? But, uh, yeah. Really, really difficult, really difficult. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's very, very tough to, you know, to kind of cope with, with those kinds of things. Very tough. And that's uh, actually, I talk with a lot of people about that as well, right? Because a lot of the time they're like, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll just do these hires and so on. And, and I'm like, you know, early on, the, the first hires you make, right, is so critical for your business. Because, I mean, when you, if you have 50 people, h- hiring someone who is not that great and you're having to fire them, it doesn't make that much of a difference. Mm-hmm. But if you have one, two, three, four staff, like having one person that isn't delivering is so painful to your business, right? It is. And, and also it's a, an extremely large increase in cost percentage-wise as well. Um, yeah. You know, if you've got one person you've got to double to get to two if you've got 50 people you've only got to add 150th to get to 51 uh, it's it's very very different uh, depending on kind of the size of the uh, of the company definitely it's really it's very tough and i think you know um so i look around at the uh at the agency world at the moment quite a lot the uh, kind of online marketing agency and and what i see happening quite a lot is that people aren't looking at how to be effective and efficient uh, with their time. So um, the most common thing that I see is that, you know, people are um, moving from industry to industry, you know, they're going effectively all over the place. And, you know, they'll do their work kind of in any way that they can and, and, and kind of move forward in any way that they can. And I know that you know, businesses need to do an element of this in their early days, definitely. But it's so ineffective in terms of uh, in terms of time. And if you really looked at your costings and you looked at how much that project really, really cost, if you go and analyze that, you know, you'll realize that uh, cutting down the amount of things that you um, offer out to the marketplace is, is incredibly important. Definitely, definitely. I yeah. guess you speak to lots of frustrated agency owners. Yeah, totally. And and I mean, yeah, I'd say niching down is probably the single biggest issue that most people have, right? Like doing that in a in a good manner is not easy, right? It is, and there's a fear of missing out. Like you know, well, there's business on the table here. I want business. Um, I need to. I need to have business. So yeah, I need. I need that thing. Uh, I read a sales book years ago. I don't consider myself to be particularly a good salesperson. And uh, I thought I'd, I'd read up a little bit on it. And I mean, it was one of these books. And I think a lot of these books are the same where 
really you could cut it down to about half a page, say the same thing. And, you know, the rest of it was just justification and, and stuff. But I, I made it sort of two, three chapters in and, and I realized that, you know, I was just kind of reading effectively the, the same thing again. Uh, and the point that that was being made is, you know, you should do the business that, you know, first off, that you enjoy and that you can be successful at. Uh, that will breed and bring about more, you know, happiness from your customers who will send, you know, uh, get in contact with more of their customers and um, obviously, you know, your word spreads and stuff. Um, and if you don't niche down, uh, it can be very difficult to uh, to satisfy the ongoing kind of demands from such a wide range of, uh, of customers. And the niching doesn't have to be per industry. You know, it can be literally, I'm going to do tech SEO for, Spotify sites, you know, whatever it is that you want to do, you know, whatever kind of works for you. So, um, so yeah, I would say at the moment, there's looking around at the industry, there's a lot of people struggling. And I think that might be a root cause of it. I totally agree. And, and I mean, it, it is typical for, for entrepreneurs, right? Because they are always eager for the business. They are always eager to you know, make the sale and all that good stuff. But it's it, like, and, and, it, and I understand, like it is hard in the beginning to say no, right? It is hard to say no to business and it is hard to, you know, not not being able to do what you would like to do with the business, right? But you have to, I mean, you, you really don't have a choice if you want to be successful, right? Because these people are constantly trying to serve like, lots of different businesses, lots of different scenarios, right? Like they're, they're never going to be successful with it, right? No, I mean, if you look around at the world, I and mean, we take so much of this for granted, let's just examine for a second um, a uh, sweet corn in a can, for example, sweet corn in a can. You can buy sweet corn in a can. It's probably, I don't know, 200 grams. I don't know what the number is. Um, you can't go to the company and say, can I have 158 grams? 200 grams. It's, it's specific. They do one specific thing uh, and they do it time and time and time and time again. And that drives such a huge efficiency uh, or, or allows such a huge efficiency. If you're literally going from pillar to post all over the place and in the early days of your business, you will do some of that because you're trying to find your way and you're trying to find your place. And um, certainly I've been, you know, in, in that uh, place as well. Um, but, you know, all of the most successful businesses do something and do it very, very well uh, to the exclusion of other things. Um, but when it comes to uh, to agencies, particularly, it does seem that it's like, well, I'm, and I need to do that and I need to do that and I need to do that and this. And literally, you know, and there's the term, obviously, full service agency, you know, so many of the full service agencies out there is just one or two people who do a particular thing moderately well. Um, so for me, you know, I would say uh, focus on something that you really, really you know, want to do, can do, enjoy, and, and cut so much of the rest of it out. It allows you to, you know, um, focus on your particular market. You know, if you're going after lawyers, for example, not going after them in that sense, uh, but if you're, you know, trying to work with lawyers, um, 
you can focus on where lawyers hang out. I mean, that's sort of a marketing 101, really. It's like, you know, you go and find out where lawyers hang out and you go and, you know, hang out with them. Um, you know, if that's on Google AdWords, then that's fine. But yeah, you know, you can go and focus in on them as a, uh, you know, as a LinkedIn uh, prospect or something. You know, if you just allow yourself to cut out some of that other stuff and it, you know in the end if you want to go and create another agency in a year or two you know when you've made yourself successful in one industry what well, you can do and go and take the same formula and go and do the same thing somewhere else but i just think you know it's uh, a real problem for uh, for businesses at the moment that they're not focusing in enough on doing one thing and just doing that thing well yeah, and i think uh, honestly i think that's probably the topic i've spoken the most of at, at uh as presentations and stuff over the last year or two um because it is i mean as you say it is such a big issue generally in the industry right and uh yeah it's a tough one for sure it definitely is it definitely is i mean i hope that you know people do understand that um if you think of it almost from a conversion rate optimization perspective if you do a better job of one thing, you are more likely to get that uh, that thing. So if you just have a generic agency, it's really speaking to no one. It's not you, you're effectively Tesco's or Asda or whatever it is. You're you're speaking to everyone at the same time. Um, you know your conversion rate is is just going to be a lot lower. Yeah, totally. Well, that's really really good, Phil. And. Um, you, you've obviously been around for a while, right? So what, what's sort of been the biggest lessons you've learned or what, what have been the sort of best resources and so on that you can share with the audience that you've, that you've learned from so far? In terms of management? Y- yes, ideally, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so I see management as quite a one-on-one unique experience with an individual. To me, the best way that you can uh, achieve something within that area is to understand people and their motivations. And, and yes, it's great to go and read some books and understand how, uh, you know, the management professionals say, we'll go and achieve this in this way and, and so on. But I'm a big uh, fan of Uh, thinking about people from um, an emotional standpoint, because really, you know, we are guided through life by our emotions. You know, if I got angry one day at my boss, you know, that's an emotion. Um, And that probably means I've not been heard or I've not been listened to. So um, maybe unusual within the industry, I'm possibly less interested in um, a management textbook I'd be thinking about how to understand people as people and how people's emotional states work um, and how you can build and grow uh, people's confidence um, because that's really uh, where you will get the greatest uh, successes from your staff. Yep, agree, agree. Well, Phil, that was fantastic. If, uh, if people are eager to get hold of you, what's the best way of doing so? So um, you can certainly find me on Twitter uh, or LinkedIn, in fact. Uh, so if you search my name, Phil Drinkwater, uh, I'm th- I don't think there's many Phil Drinkwaters. It's a fairly uncommon name. So you'll probably find me pretty quickly. 
If you particularly want to get in touch, uh, you can obviously get in touch via my website, which is phildrinkwater.com. And nice and easy to uh, to remember. Uh, but yeah, I'm probably on you know LinkedIn and Twitter a fair amount. Excellent. Well, Phil, thank you very much for joining. That was uh, fantastic. Thank you very much yeah. for having me. It was really good to uh, take some time out and um, have a think about life and uh, my journey. Excellent. Yeah. Well, it's some of those things that most people don't think about a lot of the time. So yeah, it's good. And to the audience, you can listen to us again next week. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.